Oh, this is going to be a good one. You're listening to Pete the Planner. This week on the Pete the Planner show, we answer your money questions. Uh, I was going to be solo this week because co-host Damien is with his family. Uh, So instead, I thought, I don't want to be by myself. I'm insecure, and I need someone to not laugh at me, just like Damien. So I brought along uh, Chad Meadows, our client success manager here at Your Money Line. Chad, welcome uh, into the uh, next man up role. Hey there, thank you. Just like in great pro sports, when one star is out, the next man off the bench must fill the role. Absolutely. And he wasn't available, so Chad, welcome to the show. (laughs) Okay, so uh, Chad has been in the banking industry for a long time, uh, manages a lot of the relationships with our clients here at uh, Your Money Line, a lot of our corporate clients, I shall say. Uh, so Chad, uh, again, welcome back. You were in the banking episode. People loved it. Thank you. I said that to be nice. Chad, um, do you have a financial advisor? I don't. Is it because you work at a financial place? or Well, I guess you've always worked at a financial place. Why don't you have a financial advisor? You act like I have money. You do have money. I'm just kidding. Your wife is very successful. She's very successful. Yeah. You know, I had securities licenses, been in banking, now in financial wellness, just feel like I have a a fairly good uh, idea of what I want to do. So I don't want to pay someone else to do it at this point. Which brings us to our first question of the week. If you ever want to email us, do so. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. If you're lucky, Chad will be here. And if you're unlucky, I'll be here by myself. And if you're really lucky, Damien will host the entire show by himself. Dear Pete... Uh, I've listened to several of your podcasts and read your articles in the IBJ, which is the Indianapolis Business Journal. Recently, you had an amazing... Oh, wait, he didn't write amazing. He wrote... You had an article. <laughs> I added an amazing. You ever do that? Good ad. Of course. You just like add a compliment accidentally. Accidentally. Most emails. Recently, you had a an amazing uh, article posing the question, are you utilizing your financial planner to their fullest potential? I currently do not have a financial planner. I wonder... What is the appropriate time to seek one out, if any? I'm in my early 30s, emailer writes. Here's the thing, Chad. I think he wrote that to really get at me because he knows I'm older. To dig. When you when you come across someone that's like, you know, a dude, you know, in their early, mid-20s, and he's like, I'm in my mid-20s, and you're like, make you feel bad about yourself? A little bit. I know. You know, sometimes, ah, yeah, I think every 10 years or so, you're just like, ah, I remember when I was that age. Anywho, uh, he has 200000 in my company's 401k. This is what he's ready. Build up a small emergency fund of $8,000 and growing and contributes $300 a month total to his four kids' 529 plans. Four kids, Chad. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. It's double what I have. Uh, good math. You don't need an advisor. Mm, right? My wife is the hardest working individual I know as a stay-at-home mom. I would say so with four kids. Uh, every six months or so, we take time to evaluate our financial status and short and long-term goals moving forward. From an investment perspective, I am maximizing my 401k and HSA contributions, but do not have any say as to how it is uh, dispersed among stocks, bonds, etc. We have no separate IRAs or anything we have to manage. Ultimately, we want to increase the 529 contributions and emergency fund as our income and expenses allow. Overall, though, we feel in pretty good shape, which leaves us to beg the question, is a financial planner really worth pursuing in our situation? Chad, 
I'm putting it to you. This emailer has entrusted his entire life to you in this moment. It's a big deal. What do you think? I think yes and no. I don't think. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna do well in radio. <laughs> Can't pin it on me. Um, you know, I think that maybe it sounds like you're doing a lot of really good things right now, um, naturally. Whether that's advice from someone else that he's been given or uh, just on his own. So, um, if I was to do anything, it might be maybe a one-time meeting uh, or maybe even an annual meeting with like a fee-based advisor just to kind of get an idea around college planning and things like that. But I certainly wouldn't pay, you know, the the high percentage cost of managing money at maybe a bank or something like that based on the current situation. Yeah, so, okay, interesting. So I like a lot of what you said. I don't actually disagree with any of it, which is, you know, progress for us. That's good. Uh, you said to get a fee-based advisor, you're right. Let me dig a little bit deeper. Uh, emailer, if you were to seek out a professional's advice, I would go to an hourly based advisor pay him for their time for an hour to, to look over this i'll tell you what though i don't think you need one i don't think you need one at all in fact the only thing that concerns me that you didn't mention at all and it bothers me you didn't mention it is life insurance like the only thing that rounds out you like the use of how i said round there round round the only way you round out this financial plan is to have continuation involved with it like chatty look at this guy's situation as long as he keeps making money and keeps doing what he's doing he's fine right right what happens if he has a wife and four kids and he is uh, dead not good plan's not great no so that is the one weakness if it exists or maybe he didn't bring it up for a particular reason but if this guy was uh sort of the perfect person to not have a financial advisor, he would have brought up his life insurance situation. Absolutely. Yeah. So which we should also, like, how much life insurance would a guy like this need? Um, did he say how much he made? I know I didn't even give you the email. He's in his early 30s, has 200000 by 401. Let's assume he makes hundred grand a year. Do you want to assume that? It's a good assumption, I think. All right. He would need at least a million dollars, probably a million and a half, because he's got four kids. Sounds right. Yeah. One, 1. 1.25, somewhere in there. Younger 30s, I would probably get a 20-year term policy and just make it part of your budget, which, of course, then decreases the amount you can put in your emergency fund. But I bet it would cost that dude maybe 100 bucks a month. You think? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Certainly reasonable for the benefit. Yeah, if he's healthy. I mean, he's out there doing juice cleanses and stuff, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't think everyone needs a financial advisor. I, I really don't. I think a financial advisor serves a couple roles. One, to give you a degree of accountability. Who provides the accountability? Uh, do you and your uh, wife uh, provide financial accountability to each other or, or not? Or how do you guys do that? Uh, my wife, definitely. We, we talk at least on a monthly basis about what's going on with our money, uh, where we're at, what our goals are. And then I've got uh, a couple close friends that are kind of in current, similar financial situations that I am and have similar goals. So we kind of bounce ideas off each other and, and kind of hold each other accountable. You know, that's really uh, a really good benefit, right? To have a group of friends that are have similar financial situations. And and frankly, you just hope the conversations don't turn to consumption, right? I mean, you are usually having the conversations when you're consuming right? <laughs> right? beer, uh, but you hope they don't say, well, then we're going to go on this vacation. Then we're going to buy this car. Right. Then we're going to get this. You, you hope it is 
really, what are you guys planning on doing for college for the kids? You know, right. th- those sorts of things, right? All right. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Not everyone needs a financial advisor. If you have a degree of accountability, if you are maxing out your 401k, if you're putting money in your 529, if you have no consumer debt, if you've got a decent emergency, well, you don't need a financial advisor. I mean, now the, the, there's another element to this. You could arguably need an investment advisor, maybe. True. And I don't mean to split hairs here, but there is a difference between a financial planner and an investment advisor. Um, here's the thing, though. If it's all in your 401k, you'd be paying outside fees to an investment advisor to manage your 401k, which, you know, some people do that. I wouldn't do it personally. Right. At that point, I've, I've come across a lot of, of our partners in, the, in that field that are that are really great in the retirement plan company itself has a lot of great advisors that can talk about the 401k itself. But yeah, I wouldn't seek an outside advisor for that. So there's your definitive answer. You, sir, specifically don't need a financial advisor. And and by the way, we are very, very, very pro-financial advisor around here. We want almost everyone to have a financial advisor. But uh, Mr. Emailer, you are the exception to the rule. Chad, coming up after the break, I mean, it's all email edition this week. Answering emails, Chad Meadows, uh, client success manager here at Your Money Line, sitting in for Damian Dunn, who's on vacation. Just lounging around, doing nothing. nothing. So Chad's filling in next man up around here. We'll be back with your questions and our answers right here on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. Pete the Planner Show. I almost forgot the name of the show. Chad Meadows is uh, filling in for Damian Dunn this week as Damian does a little R&R. Good for him. Sure. Uh, Dear Pete, hello. I've read your advice column in USA Today and found it helpful. All right, next email. No, I'm just kidding. She goes (laughs) on to ask a question. Uh, I would like to purchase a house here in a small town that is a great school district. Currently, I'm paying $825 American dollars a month in rent. I have an excellent rental payment history, which apparently means nothing. Our last house was $1,000 a month. Rent is always paid on time every month. When I first started looking, I had no credit cards and was advised to open a few accounts and pay them on time to up my score. I now have three credit cards and pay over the minimum amount due every month. Now I'm being told my score is too low. It's around 600 Admittedly, not good, but I was late on some car payments years ago. The car is now paid off. What's the problem here? I have nothing in collections. I'm on disability, so my income is limited, yet study, and I can prove I can afford at least $825 a month. Houses I'm interested in are in the $66,000 to $80,000 range. My husband can easily remodel, so we're not afraid of some work needed. That's a real husband. You know what I mean? Can you do anything around the house? What's the biggest f- house project you've ever completed? Ooh, new gutters. What? That was a good one. You're a man. I used to saw. Did you fall off a ladder or anything? No. You used a drill? Yeah. A drill? A saw? Wait, you installed all it the gutters dangerous. on your house? My old house. They fell off. Oh, wait, you didn't. The bring old ones a... fell off. I put new ones on. Oh, okay. The new, but the new ones, did they fall off? No. Solid. Have you driven by it recently? No, I'm not. Don't want to do that. So you think they've fallen off? Maybe. 
Did it you, worked while I was there. Was this in YouTube days? Like, were you able to YouTube how to do this? YouTube, Grandpa. He's a man's man. Your was, grandpa has a YouTube channel? No. He uh, gave me a little advice. Oh. Anyway. Uh, so he's not, So we're pretty sure we can make a profit when we sell because her husband can do the work. Houses are sold within a week of being listed here. They go fast. Why are the mortgage companies fixated on my credit cards, which are paid on time, and not interested in my rental history? I don't get it. My number one priority is paying for the roof over our heads on time. And I'm mindful of property taxes. Uh, help, please. What can I do here to find a lender who actually realizes I can pay a certain amount every month on time, though I have open credit card accounts and a low score? Thank you, MJ. I think it's Michael Jordan. Could be. What are the chances that Michael Jordan just wrote into our show? I just dropped a bottle of water. Sounded like the world ended. Did you hear that? <laughs> It was a loud blast. Do you, first of all, before we answer the question, do you think it's Michael Jordan? It might be. Okay. What's your what's your take on this? You were in the banking industry for a long time. You lived in the world of credit scores and mortgages and all of this. What, what do you think? First of all, here's what I hate. I hate That's a strong that word. people give people advice to take out credit cards to build credit and give them the idea that they have to leave a balance on it and pay interest. That drives me crazy. People all the time. I have to pay interest to build credit. No, no, just make your payments on time. You know pay what? it off. Let, let's let's turn that into a direct piece of advice. You do not have to carry a balance and pay interest in order to build credit. It is the the process of uh, using credit and then paying back the credit on time, regardless of what your balance is, that builds credit. Right. Yeah, that's terrible advice uh, to do it the opposite way. And, and, and usually it is a lender that gives that advice. Yeah. Actually, if we're being fair, it's usually a low-level employee at a lender who gives that advice because they either don't understand it, they were trained wrong, or they were trained maliciously, which I really doubt is the case. What do you think, think it is? I don't think so. I think it's just lack of knowledge. Yeah. They've heard it somewhere. They assume that there has to be interest to get credit. My, uh, my other beef with the advice that, that revolves around that is to t- take out a few cards. Multiple cards of the same type of credit line are not going to help you. Right. You know, like th- you know, three store cards. No. I mean, diversity of credit is a thing. I mean, I remember uh, I got a letter from my banks and I didn't have diverse enough credit, which I don't really care. I don't want diverse credit. But they, they said I didn't have diverse enough credit to be in the 800s. Which, again, I still don't care because I don't really care to be in the 800s because I don't plan on borrowing money. But um, that's weird advice, too. Now, I do have to say there are ways to get your credit score to go up in a healthy way. There, there's a way to get your credit scores to go up in an unhealthy way. I'm actually going to give that advice right now, but you have to promise, MJ, that you will not do it. That's fair. Do you think I should give this advice of how to make your credit score go up in an unhealthy way or not? Let's hear it. I mean, I feel like... It's it's true, but I don't. I have to explain why not what it is, and why not to do it. Okay, so there is something called credit utilization ratio, and uh, Chad, if you have, let's say you have a store credit card, you do personally, uh, with a thousand dollar limit at Victoria's Secret. I just had to pick a store. That's okay? true. So that's the one I picked. Okay, it's a Victoria's Secret, Chad. That's the card you have. They have your sizes and everything. A thousand dollar credit limit. And let's say they have a sale and you love some, you have some cute things there that look good on you. And your balance is now $504. So your credit utilization ratio, you are utilizing 
over 50%, 50.4% of the available credit. Yeah. Right? Yes. You understand that, correct? Correct. If you are above 35% credit utilization ratio, there is an impact on your credit score. If you're above 50% of credit utilization, there's a big impact on your credit score. Right. So there are two ways, one healthy, one unhealthy, to get your credit score to go up when credit utilization is the issue, when your credit utilization ratio is the issue. The healthy way to do it, which is what I want you to do, MJ, if credit utilization ratio is an issue for you, is I want you to pay down your balance below 35%. So if, like Chad, you've got a gift card and you're a longtime member at Victoria's Secret and you have a $1,000 limit, he needs to get his balance for his mangere below $349, right? Can you do that, Chad? I'll try. You're going to have to say no to some of these sale items. It's the annual sale that gets me. I know. I, every time. Every time. You come in looking great, though. Uh, or the bad way to do this is that you call Victoria's Secret, and you thank them for all their help of what they've done for you and your relationship. And then you ask them to increase your credit line to $2,000. And then your credit utilization ratio falls because there's more available credit and you have the exact same amount of credit in use. And in that scenario, your credit utilization ratio would fall to 25%. That was easy. It was easy. And it's one phone call and it takes five minutes. And this is what I hate about it. You are in a worse financial position, theoretically, because you could go out and, and continue to accumulate tasteful onesies and rompers, right? You totally could. Mm -hmm. Or you could do it the right way and pay off the pieces that you and your family are already enjoying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> how, much, how much further am I going to go with that? I don't know. Your face, you look mortified. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. So um, that's, one, that's one of the things that drives me nuts about credit. They want you to do dumb things to show that you can handle dumb things. Right. Look, I know, and we deal with credit all the time around here at Your Money Line. I know credit's important. It allows you to get better rates on you know, car and uh, homeowner's insurance. It allows you to get the best rates when you do borrow or money or lease a car or something like that. But to manipulate your score to make it go up and to put yourself in a bad position in the process, chat that just doesn't make sense. No. Unfortunately, I see a lot of lenders out there that just give you those kind of crazy ideas to make it a quick fix so they can get the loan to go through. So uh, here's your, our advice, MJ. If you want to try to overcome your 600-point credit score, make sure you pay your bills on time, all of them. That car loan issue is going to have to get further in your past. More time will have to pass before that is uh, more, you know, less of an issue. And make sure your credit utilization ratios are in check. Stop opening new credit lines. That will actually make it worse. And try to work with a small-town bank that can do what's called manual underwriting of your loan as opposed to commercial underwriting at a higher level. So let's take a break. Coming up after the break, more of your money questions. I'm Pete the Planner. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Back on the Chad, the fill in the seat chair. Hi, Chad. Hey. Chad Meadows, uh, Client success manager here at Your Money Line. Filling in for Damien Dunn as Damien travels the globe. 
actually just drives south and drives back north again, like every great American family. Uh, Dear Pete, oh, look at this one. Hello, Dunn brothers slash cousins. Love the show. No relation. Damien and I have no relation. And Chad and I, um, the only relation we have is we both love to fish. Love it. You got got a lot of good things going for you, buddy. Uh, Love the show, this man says. Uh, I'm 33-year-old, married, father of two. Did you write this email? It might be me. Are you 33? 32. So maybe your future self wrote this email. Maybe we have the great fortune of earning between $275,000 and $300,000 a year. That's a good fortune. Yeah. So maybe you didn't write this email. Not me. (laughs) We live a frugal lifestyle and focus on the long term by maxing out 401ks. Utilizing backdoor Roth IRAs and funding 529. You know what a backdoor Roth IRA is? I don't. It's where you have a traditional IRA and then you convert it over to a Roth IRA Mm -hmm. because otherwise you couldn't contribute to a Roth IRA. Uh, In addition to our emergency fund with three months expenses, we have a five-year plan to buy a second home in cash. Needless to say, a large share of our net worth is tied up in the stock market. The emergency fund is in a money market. The second home fund is in 25% equity, 75% bonds due to the shorter time horizon. We tracking so far? You mm-hmm. good? Okay. Uh, everything else in equity is in equity ETFs, uh, exchange-traded funds in the U.S. market, international, etc. We're very exposed to the swings of the market, which I'm generally fine with due to our extremely long time horizon. However, lately, I've been questioning my own investment philosophy due to the dire global outlook from global warming. Interesting. I know. I thought so, too. Uh, the forecasted economic impacts are in the trillions of dollars and could potentially pose uh, an existential threat during my lifetime and certainly during my children's lives. I wonder if having a savings rate of almost 40% now is a waste Everyone talks about having long-term investment horizons, which makes a lot of sense conceptually, but no one in the investment community seems to be factoring this threat to their plans for 30 to 40 years from now. What are your thoughts? Has anyone in the investment community attempted to discount future market returns for the threat that global warming poses? Thank you. This guy's uh, on the East Coast. I can't say that I've ever considered that. You know what? I can't either. that's fascinating. Let's walk through it. Uh, I read an article the other day that I think it posed the question, like, could civilization end in, like, 2040 or something like that? Have you seen these pieces? They're, yeah. they're based on, like, a, a very recent study on the impact of global warming and all that, uh, climate change. And let's not make this topic about climate change itself, okay. right? Because I don't want I don't want it to turn into those things like do you believe in climate change and do you not? My personal opinion is to to believe in fact based science. Right. So that is to say, I, I think this is a legitimate concern. Do I think it's a concern enough that we need to adjust our investment portfolios over the next twenty to thirty years to account for the fact that our planet is dead? Like I, I don't know. What do you think? I tend to lean towards no. Let's take it from a different angle. Right. Let's take it from a different angle. Let's say we have a horrible relationship with a big country, like a big, scary country, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure we do. (laughs) I don't pay attention. No, we do, right? Isn't the same thing? Wouldn't it be like, well, what's the point of planning 
if we're just going to be in nuclear fallout? Like, is it, can we, can we, is that a false equivalency or whatever? I think you're in point. I think we can plan and hope for the best. Okay, yeah, maybe that's the way to go, though, here. It's to say, okay, what what's the benefit of spending more now? Well, you get to enjoy it more. But right. what, what's the benefit if the planet doesn't die in 30 years? Zero. <laughs> I think you're going to end up in trouble. I think if you plan um, and, and hope for the best, it turns out well and better than you're, you're expecting. And then you're set, and you're okay. Uh, if you if you don't, then you get there, and you have no money, and you can't borrow <laughs> to fix retirement. So um, this is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think spending more money would solve any problem. And by the way, if you're making two seventy five to three hundred, you're spending pretty, you're living comfortably, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy's in an expensive city. He has a city on here. He lives in a very expensive city. But I feel still like he, he, he's able to go out to eat and drive a nice car and you know all the fine things in life. Saving for a second home. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I question. So I, I am a, again, I believe climate change is a major issue. Like, and, I, and it terrifies me to a degree. I can't say with any degree of confidence that when I read that article about the planet ending in like 2040-something... That I was like, yeah, it'll probably happen. Like, I didn't feel that way. That does not feel real to me. Right. But I don't know if that matters if it feels real to me to answer this guy's question. Um, that's fascinating. I, look, if this is a concern of yours and it's a financial concern of yours, do what I do. <laughs> Honestly, I find that our financial sensibility in this country is, is still not where I'd like it to be collectively. And there are certain financially based companies that profit from our silly habits. And I invest in those companies. (laughs) So if you want to feel like you have an, not a say or an impact, but if if you want to take the knowledge you feel you have, emailer, and use it for good, find a company that is positively impacted by this negative event. Now, some people see that and they, they, they feel bad. They don't feel like that's socially responsible. But I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, there was this idea that when President Trump was elected back in 2016, I guess, right? Is that mm-hmm. the math? Uh, there were certain types of industries that his detractors chose to invest in because they knew it, they would go up under his presidency. Right. I don't find that reprehensible. I, I find it appropriately opportunistic, right. right? I don't think you have to agree with something. And the point isn't whether you agree or disagree with our president. The, the, it was more of an example of you can disagree with something and still use it as an opportunity to fulfill whatever you're trying to fulfill. Right. Just as I do with my own investment portfolio. Right. I agree. Yeah, it's tough. We had a socially responsible investing segment about a year ago or so. It's a tough space, right? Like, I I disagree fundamentally with the tobacco industry. Right. And, you know, the current offshoots of that, which are vaping and mm-hmm. all of the, the jewel and these sorts of things. But it is interesting that the first equity I ever owned in sixth or seventh grade was Philip Morris stock. Right. 
because at the time when I was first getting into stocks, when I was 12, um, that was interesting. And, and now it's sort of funny, the irony of a 12-year-old owning tobacco stocks, which, which is now Altria. But I don't know. Do, do, when you look at your investment portfolio, do you, and I know probably a lot of it's funds, do you ever look at what's in the funds and think, I don't want to line up with those people? I don't. It's all just funds and 401ks and outside in another firm. And I haven't, mine's more about the strategy of kind of target date funds and things like that. I don't pay attention to who necessarily. And, yeah. And I'm not asking you to, by the way, I'm not saying, Hey, after this, you should check out what's in your, your folio. Make sure there's tobacco in there. Yeah. But I mean, there, there are things, there are types of organizations and companies that I don't like. I think I obviously own Facebook through something, not directly. Mm-hmm. I think Facebook is reprehensible almost on every level. Yet I'm sure I own them within something. Like, I, I don't, yeah, that's fascinating, right? It is. All right, so emailer, we did not help you. Chad, thanks a lot. That's a tough question. I've never been asked that. Maybe we'll revisit with Dame, see if he has any additional thoughts next week when he's back. It's interesting. Anyway, coming up after the break, biggest waste of money of the week and current events, financial current events. Did you uh, bring those with you this week? I did not. I'll, I'll get them during the break. Okay, excellent. I'm Pete the Planner, and this this is what you're listening to, like right here. It's my show. This week's biggest waste of money of the week here on the Pete the Planner Show is uh, Chad Meadows joining us in the studio. Guest co-host. I'm the biggest waste of money of your week. Is that Look, I don't. I wasn't implying that. Uh, two items for you this week. First is called the Blue Driver OBD2 Scan Tool. Oh. With a screen in every car, there's an argument to be made that the OBD2 port should go away. Until it does, you'll need a tool to decipher your car's mysterious warning lights. The Blue Driver is a solid choice. It connects to a companion app via Bluetooth, reading and cleaning trouble codes, and supplying vehicle-specific repair reports so you'll know what parts to buy or what to tell your mechanic. Sometimes on Biggest Waste of Money of the Week, Chad, if you've ever listened to the show. You ever listen to the show? Every now and then. Yeah, that's, that's not good. No. Awkward. Um, every week, every I, week. I mention something that I think is a great use of money. It is a hundred dollars, and I think it makes sense. Now, not for every household to own, but like somebody on your street, you just borrow it, right? Just right. ask your neighbor to buy one. You know, if I ever ran for political office, I would run on one issue, and that would be that if you have a warning light come on in your car, and you take it to get investigated, and they find that the sensor itself is what is faulty, that you don't have to pay to have the sensor replaced. My legislation through my political platform would be that the manufacturer of the car must replace the indicator lights when they malfunction. That's brilliant. Right? I mean, that's a good thing. Yeah. You ever have that? You do. I ignore all my warning lights now. Every single one. I'm bad about it. I don't think it's a matter of being good or bad. Like some people are like, well, that's terrible. Like, no, every time I take them in, they're like, oh, it's just malfunctioning. It's $800 to replace it. I'm like, what? No, you replace it, Gary. I Sometimes I get mad. I just call people Gary. Do you ever do that? Every now and then. Uh, next up on the biggest waste of money of the week, the Ferno Grill. 
Chad, you are. I love, love You love grilling. to grill. You've replaced your own gutters, as we've learned on this show. Yeah. And you love to buy things at Victoria's Secret. Yes. <laughs> I, I made that yes. part up. And you love to grill. Uh, mixing innovative, patented design with robust construction, the Furno Grill might be the last grill you ever buy. At the Well, I'll be honest with you. It might be because you'll be out of money. That's Fair. where we're going with this. At the center, literally and figuratively, of the grill, it's is it's in is it's in I ran out of words. It's ingenious fire wheel, which raises and lowers the gas burners to allow for fine-tuned temperature control without moving the food up and down. Cast iron grates distribute heat evenly and flip over for cooking loose vegetables and pizzas. The optimal hood shape provides tons of interior volume for cooking larger items, and a swing-out propane tank makes swaps easy and painless. It's made in Santa Barbara, California, which I'm going to be in in like three weeks. Cool. Um, what you, what's cool? The grill or the fact Santa that I'll be Barbara. in Santa Barbara? Oh, it's beautiful. Anyway, how much do you think it is? 1100 $4,800. Oh, my goodness. Look at this thing. Oh, by the way, if you're just listening at home, I'm showing a person a picture while you're listening on the radio. It's kind of crazy it's kind of looking, Futuristic right? looking. Yeah. I get, yeah. Anyway, all right. So that is a giant waste of money of the week. Uh, this week in current events, uh, Chad, did you happen to see the Fair Oaks farm story out of northern Indiana this I week? I did. Not, not a good look. Not a good luck. So uh, for those of you who have been asleep for 168 hours, there, uh, there is a agritourism uh, industry along I-65, about an hour south of Chicago, and it's called Fair Oaks Farms. It is a place where you can go watch a baby cow be born, which I've had the unfortunate uh, moment in which I did do that at Fair Oaks Farm. Oh, congrats. I, I rounded this corner into this barn with my kids, and there's like this calf is just on its way out can you unsee it no and it's like i get it i get it i can't handle it i'm not mature enough for that and i wasn't making jokes or anything i just don't i didn't i didn't want a milkshake after that like yeah and so anyway there's this farm that's you know agritourism is the idea of showing you what you know the farm lifestyle is like and animals and whatever whatever so this animal rights group infiltrated uh, the Fair Oaks Farm and did some undercover filming of how animals were treated over a long period of time. And the video is horrific. Like, it's, it's, it's awful. It's, it's hard to watch. Now, you also have to understand um, and, 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 you know, concede the point. If you're a meat eater, <laughs> sure, the animal is being abused, but then you also consume that same animal. So it's like, Yes, you want the animal to be treated correctly. Ab- absolutely. You want right. humane. But then there's the whole idea of like humane slaughter that people are like, well, even if you're like PETA, right? If you're PETA, you're like, well, humane slaughter isn't even a thing because slaughtering is a thing. Right. Right. I'm not here to argue that point. Here's what I'm here to argue. Chad, do you think they're in big financial trouble? I think so. I, I think they have big partners that could... <laughs> pull out based on that. Like Coca-Cola is one of their partners in some way. Is it Fair Life Milk? Is that what they I think so. It's like some protein-rich milk. They sell it in the coffee shop right below our studios here. Really? Yeah. I mean, if they pull out that partnership deal, which I don't know if that's something that's on the table, that could obviously big be a big thing. But more than that, I know it's 
popular enough they're building a hotel next to it or have built a hotel yeah, next to it. Yeah, it just so opened just like go. a couple months ago. So I think they're in trouble. People stop taking their kids there, and it's huge. Look, I'm not a huge animal rights person. You and I have no reason to abuse animals. We both fish. We, you know, it's like so. You know, we just have to like kind of put it out there. I will never buy anything from them again. Right. I I stop at that gas station. I stopped there a few weeks ago on my way back from Chicago. Got a milkshake or something. <clears throat> I will never do that again. It just doesn't feel right. You and how many other people? I don't know. And again, Tons. it's like I'm not like a big I'm not Pete of the planner here, right? I'm just like uh it just doesn't seem right. I think they're in trouble. Related to that story, there's a story out this week that Beyond Meat, uh which is the fake <clears throat> burgers, you know, their shares surged over 27% as analysts predict more robust sales that uh and growth ahead. Have you had one of these impossible burgers yet? I haven't. Do you have any interest in them? No. I don't. I have. Inter- I want to try one, but I don't. I don't know if I care. Right. Right. I just love a good burger. I did. Uh, I was listening to an interview the other day. Uh, actually, it, I encourage people to listen to it. It's uh, how I made this. Is that what it's called? How I built this. Have you ever heard that podcast on NPR? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Uh, that's what it's called. That. It's called uh, How I Built This with Guy Raz. Raz, the founder of Tofurky. The Seth Tibbet episode, he, he founded Tofurky. He was saying that um, sort of the methane and, and the carbon release from dairy farms in commercial farming uh, and livestock has a bigger impact on the environment than car emissions. Really? I, I just never even consider that. You, you think about places that have major pollution issues, smog issues, Basically, what is being argued is that major rural communities that have commercial livestock and farming have just as bad environments based on the gas and carbon that's emitted from those farms. I was listening to the Indy 500 uh, pre-race radio show. They had the uh, the dairy farm on that provides the milk for the winter. And they were talking oh, about I saw that. they bought this brand new huge machine that they... Put the cows, uh, you, you know what I'm saying. You can say udders on the radio. No, they, you know, when the cow excrement. Oh. Basically, they put all that oh. in this giant turbine that spins somehow and creates energy for not only the farm, but enough to sell back to the grid. Yeah. And take some of that carbon this wasn't issue feral. away. This was not fair. This was not fair. But it wasn't a good Indiana dairy farm. I remember seeing that on the broadcast. That was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, farmers, they've got to be innovative with how they use energy and, and deal with waste and their carbon footprint. And anyway, I'll probably try one of those Impossible Burgers. Maybe you and I could go together and we'll film you reacting to I'll doing try that. It. I'll try it. We'll do that. Chad, thanks for sitting in this week. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's better than me talking to myself and everyone enjoys, well, other people than me. That's all we have time for this week. So reminding you, sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. This is the Pete the Planner Show, and I'm Pete the Planner.